But she walked into, you know, I think it was somewhere like Selfridges or Harrods, like a really posh shop in London. Mm. And said, I noticed that you have a musician playing sometimes. And they said, yeah. And she said, well, how do they get the job? And they said, oh, they send us a demo. So she sat down at the piano and played them a song. Two days later, they called her back. It's all, it's all about, regardless of the type of venue, it's about being risky and actually going up and talking to people and getting to know them. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Brie Noble. Brie is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Brie's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Brie is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. Morning and welcome to Indie Interactive, where we talk about making great music, connecting with your audience and growing your business. My name is Bree Noble. I am the founder of Women of Substance Radio, of the Female Entrepreneur Musician, of the Female Musician Academy. Obviously, I love to help females in the music industry. And I'm really excited to be here with you today because I've got a guest on my show, which I love doing on Indie Interactive. Today, my guest is Gabby Huckins, and we're going to be talking all about creating mini tours, how to plan a mini tour that's actually profitable. That is the key, right? We don't want to just plan tours and then come home frustrated when we realize that there's like a few cents in our pocket. So um, we're going to be planning mini tours. And Gabby's going to talk a little bit about her experience in doing this and, you know, how she can help you guys understand the best way to plan mini tours. So I want to let you know a little bit about Gabby in that she actually works in commercial music, but she also has worked for years with bands, helping to plan tours and helping to manage bands. So right now she has the distinction of working in commercial music with Universal in helping get getting the licensing for people um, like the Rolling Stones and Black Sabbath. And she recently worked with Adele's royalties, which is really cool. But she um, also has a ton of experience managing bands from, you know, from the from a young age. And she still does a lot of consulting with bands on how to create mini tours. So Gabby, just give us a quick synopsis of like how you got to where you are now. And you know, what is your experience as, as a musician and as a manager? Uh, so I see, hello everyone, by the way. Uh, so I started out very young. As Bria said, I started out when I was about 14, I started playing guitar. And I really wanted to be a guitarist. I wanted to be a famous guitarist. I was really into Slash. And uh, I wanted to play all of the tours I possibly could and play guitar constantly. So while I was doing my A-levels, I don't know what the equivalent is in America. I guess you're about 17. Is that, I don't know, when you're at high school, college like, age? Yeah, like the pre-college exams. Right. So I started doing the Oxford University College, don't you? Yes. Uh, so I, I was doing my A-levels in science. Everyone in my family does science. And at the same time, I was playing guitar on tour. And I had put together a mini tour with my singer, who was my best friend at the time, and lying about my age so I could play in pubs. 
uh, which I think my mom is okay with now. Uh, so, <laughs> I think yeah, she's been, after the fact. <laughs> yeah, after the, it's, it's been a good five years. I think she's okay with it now. Uh, so I started out playing with loads of musicians in the area and I got a real taste for playing live, but also for setting up gigs, for working with other musicians, finding out what they wanted to do, hearing everyone's stories about where they wanted to go in life when it came to music. And I found that a lot of the advice I was giving made sense. So I started at the commercial music course in Westminster after I finished my A-levels, uh, which I'm now a lecturer at. And while I was there, I started managing a lot of the bands on the course because uh, there was there were a lot of hopefuls that went there as musicians and a lot of business people that went there as hopeful business people. So I started managing bands, setting up tours for them, basically mini tours that went all the way around London. So when it came to a release, we'd say, okay, we're going to do six dates within a month. We're going to play this venue, this venue, this venue, this venue. Always finish on a student venue because you're not going to make much money, but all your friends are going to be there and it's going to be round, which is always fun. That's what you want. You want the free drinks at the student gigs. You want your bands to feel happy. So um, I had a real knack for working with bands, really enjoy working with musicians, really like the challenges that come with promotion and management and problem solving in general when it came to music. So just before I left university, I started on a production role an international production role and archiving, working with hundreds of little, uh, <coughs> sorry, I'm a bit ill, uh, working with hundreds of tiny labels and tiny bands to some big bands and big labels, whose name I can't really go into. And then moved into royalties <laughs> and started lecturing at the same university that I'd studied at, uh, lecturing mostly on copyright and royalty law and label structure and kind of giving them a, a bird's eye view into the music industry from somebody's in it. And then started at Universal, this position at Eagle Rock, where uh, I worked with licensing with Charlotte Godfrey and put together licensing proposals and sign off on licensing proposals for some of the bigger acts that you mentioned earlier. But as you also mentioned, I also run a management consultancy on the side, which is Everything a manager does, apart from the day-to-day -day stuff, like getting your tissues when you're sick. And buying <laughs> Man, you are crazy busy. I don't know how you do all of that. But um, <laughs> as far as the, the mini tours that you have helped people create and that you advise people now on how to do, like, how yeah. do you get started with creating a mini tour when you don't have a lot of experience even planning and knowing how to contact the venues and stuff like what advice do you give to newer bands on how to get started doing this without feeling overwhelmed so my main I guess where you start is why you're playing the tour if you're doing it because you want to back up a release then you have set tour dates you need to do if you're doing it because you want to get out there and start playing live because you haven't really done many live gigs then you need to start right that minute the first point I always make is where do you want to play? And say in London, there's a place called Camden. There's like a mile of pubs. And every time I take someone on tour, I get them to do that mile of pubs. And the way they get to know the promoters is I say, have a bar crawl. <laughs> you start in one pub, you chat to the promoter there, you watch every single gig they're doing. It's a free gig. You get to know the promoters because no one ever, no promoter has ever run out down the street looking for an artist because they look pretty cool. Mm. But Rosa will call you back if you sat down and had a pint with them and talked about their last holiday and that sort of thing. So that is the, the ultimate way to make friends, to get to know who you should contact. It's which venues you liked being in 
which venues you think you could draw a crowd to. I mean, everyone likes the O2 Arena, but if you're a brand new band, you're better off sticking with a club size venue, maybe 500 capacity, something like that. But if you like being there, your fans will like being there, you want to play there, you like the promoter, that's how you find out where you should play. So what if you are a band or an artist that really just doesn't fit in a bar? Like, for example, me, like I would never play in a bar. Do you have, do you give them other suggestions? Like, do you suggest things like house concerts or um, other kinds of outdoor venues or or community venues that they can approach? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, sure. 100%. I mean, uh, a good friend of mine is a singer songwriter. So she doesn't really fit in that playing at a pub like a band would feel. But she walked into, you know, I think it was somewhere like Selfridges or Harrods, like a really posh shop in London. Mm. And said, I noticed that you have a musician play sometimes. And they said, yeah. And she said, well, how do they get the job? And they said, oh, they send us a demo. So she sat down at the piano and played them a song. Two days later, they called her back. <sighs> it's, all, it's all about, regardless of the type of venue, it's about being risky and actually going up and talking to people and getting to know them. I mean, if you don't know where you should be playing, research some artists that you like, that you think fit in your field, or friends of yours that are in the same field. Find out where they're playing. Absolutely. So much of it is just getting over that fear of putting yourself out there. And I got a ton of hearts across the screen here when we were talking about, you know, don't fit into the bar scene. Like, I think most of the people that I attract here definitely are not like bar hoppers, um, but but you know, have fantastic music. And so, you know, you just need to go to the places where you would like to listen to music and then just go talk to the promoter. Right. Yeah. It's absolutely. I mean, a bar could be the same as say you're going to an opera at the ENO or something like that, the Coliseum in London. Mm. Talk to people there, stick around afterwards, see if you can get a word in with the conductor, you know, see if they've got events coming up because a load of places like, especially in London, I think the same in New York, a load of places like the V&A, the science music, big museums I'm talking about here, and venues that aren't traditional music venues will be looking for acts for their Friday night lives. A lot of the time, uh, museums and that sort of thing will open up on the weekends for an evening of music and entertainment. And they're not looking for traditional bands. They're looking for unusual musicians Mm. that will come across as more of an art piece. Mm. And again, the way you talk to them is go to the museum every week, go to all of the live nights that they do and sort of try and figure out who's running them and chat to them and buy that person a slice of pie or something. Yeah. And just go listen to the artists they already are playing and find one that you think might be super nice and helpful and go talk to them and ask them. A lot of times, you know, artists hopefully believe in abundance and they're not going to be like well if I tell this person how I got this gig then I'm not going to have this gig anymore I don't think hopefully most people don't think that way I know I don't because when you find a good thing you want to share exactly well you know a lot of it's to do with if if someone comes up to you and says we're doing similar music you should always gravitate towards that person if they come up to you and say I want to find out how you're doing it you should work together instead of working apart because two bands opposing or two musicians opposing each other in the same field one of them's going to get knocked out but if you're working together you're playing gigs together you're going to get twice as many bookings because that way you've got a whole night set up instead of just two bands that want booking on different days that are both psychedelia or something like that so true that is a big part of your planning your mini tours is connecting with other artists and trying to get on each other's bills if 
you know, oh, yeah. that person connected with one venue and you connected with another one, why not share and double your, you know, what you got? Yeah, it's all about stalking people. I would say <laughs> stalking people. Totally. I was just saying that yesterday. I'm like, I'm not trying to sound creepy, but like stalking is really useful. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's all about that. It's all about find, becoming, I don't want to say a groupie, but becoming an ultra fan for bands that you want to work with, for becoming an ultra fan for places you want to play and labels you want to work with. Find out everything about them. Stalk them. Go on all their social media campaigns. Make a real nuisance of yourself if you have to. Because people notice a nuisance. People don't notice someone who's flitting in the corner, but they notice if you're up in their face constantly saying, hi, can we be friends? That's true. And I mean, I don't think they're necessarily going to think of you as a nuisance either. You might feel like you are. But I know for me, like if people send me emails and, and, you know, respond to specific things I've said, or they comment on a lot of my stuff, I totally notice them. And when they're doing stuff, I pay more attention because they've gotten onto my radar. Exactly. Exactly. It's yeah. So what do you say? (laughs) What do you think is the big block to artists actually making a profit with these, with these mini tours? Uh, you know, I don't want to sound as a manager, there's always a, a sort of give and take. There's, there's a sort of a lot of hate that comes between managers and promoters. And I don't want to say as a manager, it's the promoter's fault because I've worked as a promoter as well. I don't want to screw myself over by saying that really, but it's about being smart when it comes to working with promoters. So when I talk about a promoter, I mean either a venue or someone that's running the night that you're trying to get on. So a lot of the time they might say, yes, you can play my gig, but you've got to buy your own tickets and sell them, which is called pay to play, which is totally wrong. You should never have to pay to play at a venue. They should be paying you to play. You're doing them a favor. And in turn, you do a decent amount of promotion for the night. You don't rely on one person to do all of it. It's a team effort. So if you're not clued up on it, if you haven't researched what comes with playing live, sometimes it can be your own fault, but that is one of the biggest roadblocks. People saying you've got to pay out to do this. And the other thing is a door split. Are you familiar with door splits? So if Mm -hmm. someone says to you, okay, I will pay you, uh, but only after we've had... 20 people on the door that have said they're here to see you. And then you'll get three pounds every out of every five back on that. But then you look around and you think, okay, this is a hundred capacity venue. There's five other bands playing. If everyone gets 20 people to show up, they're not going to be able to fit anyone else through the door. Everyone's working on the same door split. So no one's going to make any money off the back of this. Mm. You have to think through very carefully when someone says they're going to pay you under what terms they're going to pay you. And there's loads of writing online on it. I'm online. If you want more, <laughs> if you need more details, you need more numbers figuring out, but bring a calculator. Sit, be that guy who brings a notepad and a calculator and sits down with him and says, okay, how many people fit? Okay, let me type this in. How many much money? How much money am I going to get off the back of this? How much money is everyone else going to get them off the back of this? And if they're not budging on the price, you know you're not going to make a profit and that's not the venue for you. Yeah, I think it's so key to value yourself. And I know when I first started out, I definitely was the victim of the pay to play because I thought that was just what you had to do. It's so easy to fall into. They really make it, they make it seem like you have to do it. And it's, it's not the case at all. You have to value your own time. You have to value everything you're doing. You know, if you think you're, oh, there's a fantastic meme online that I see all the time. A musician is not someone that sells out 
stadiums. A musician is someone that takes a thousand pound guitar, puts it in a 500 pound car, drives 300 miles to get 50 quid for a gig. <laughs> That's the definition of musician these days. And you've got to make sure that nothing that you're doing is counted in that. You've got to imagine that every member of your entourage is getting minimum wage. You've got to imagine how much time it takes for you to get there, the fact that you're going to have to eat, the fact you're going to have to travel there as well, the cost of that. You have to think about it, invoice a promoter as you would if you were doing regular work. And if your invoice doesn't add up to what they're offering, you need to sit down and make a deal with them, say to them, maybe we'll take some money off the bar instead, which is another thing you can do instead of getting money directly from the promoter for the gig. Or you just say, I'll play some rules. Mm-hmm. That, that is for me is the, is the biggest block people trying to take the mickey and then people not realizing they're taking the mickey and paying <laughs> that's <laughs> funny I know that I was so clueless when I got out of school and you know thinking going to school for music they should have prepared me for this stuff but they gave me no preparation they gave me <laughs> no training how do you feel that you know students are these days coming out of university do they if they are going for music do they have any training in these areas i think obviously my students are all very well lectured they know of exactly. course they know it all <laughs> i think lecture people are more aware of this sort of thing when they leave university now because a huge amount of music courses actually rely on you playing live while you're at uni that's so good yeah. Even performance courses, the performance course at Westminster, you have a whole module where you have to have played 10, 20 gigs live. And they will have lectures on how to avoid door splits and how to avoid pay to play and dodgy deals and all this sort of thing. But the best way to get to know about it is to do it yourself. And if you can do it yourself while you're at university and then ask your lecturer, why didn't this work? You're in a safe environment. It's better to do it there. People are coming out of university a lot more aware of this sort of thing because they're trying it for themselves now. They're being encouraged to try it for themselves now. That is so good. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, And for those of you like me that came out of university or didn't even go to university for music um, and didn't get all this stuff, that's why we're doing things like what Gabby is doing coming up, which is a masterclass and a whole like 100 day accountability around that. Because as she said, like, when you go out and do this stuff, you want someone to come back to and say, okay, why didn't this work? You know? <laughs> and so I love that my friends at music printer hub are doing these masterclasses that don't just like give you the information and then like say, see ya, you know, they yeah. are wanting to, to help you out continuously. And that's the reason I wanted to have Gabby on here today. Number one, to, to get some of her expertise to you guys, but number two, to let you know about what she's doing coming up, which is a masterclass coming up this Saturday. Is that right? Saturday. And, and then after that, it's not just like, Oh, that was a cool masterclass. Hope you like the information. It is a hundred days of like weekly accountability and somebody actually contacting with you and talking with you and making sure you're doing this thing and answering your questions and all that. And of course you guys that, you know, 
hang around with me know that that's what I'm all about. Like, I don't want to just give you information and then leave you high and dry, which is why I would love for you guys to check out this masterclass that they're doing. So I'm going to give you the info in a second on what, how to get involved in this masterclass. But uh, I just want to mention, if you guys have any questions for Gabby, please put them in the chat so I can um, ask her while she's here with us. And as far as the masterclass goes, I definitely encourage you guys to check it out. I have a special link for you. Um, it is not only is this masterclass like already so reasonably priced, but I managed to get you guys $20 off plus the first 20 people that sign up under my VIP link will get a special one-on-one -on -one 30 minute time with the head of musicpreneur hub.com, which is Tommy Darker, my friend, who's also a lecturer and very experienced in all of this stuff. So um, if you want to grab that, I really recommend that you at least check it out and think about it. It You can find that at bit.ly slash VIP. So that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash B-R-E-E-V-I-P. And I will put that into this post as soon as we're done here but wanted to get that out here, bit.ly slash VIP. Now, let me see if there are any questions for Gabby that have come up. Um, let's see. Stalking. People love the stalking idea. That's for sure. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get arrested for this. I don't want anyone to, to blame. No. <laughs> no, I say stalking all the time. <laughs> Yeah, and a lot of them are agreeing that they didn't have any preparation in college. And I think right. that's, you know, part of the reason that I've created this platform that I have out of my own frustration of not being prepared for any of this stuff as I was, you know, in that time period where I should have been learning it and then just thrown out on the street by my college and like fend for yourself and have no idea what in the world to do. So um, while we're waiting to see if there are any questions, I want to give you guys a few minutes there to jump in with questions. I wanted to ask Gabby, is, is there anything that you see um, with bands that are trying to, to do this on their own and they don't necessarily have a manager yet? Um, as far as their mindset, like what are the things that are holding them back the most? Maybe they have the knowledge, but they're still not acting on that. Why is that happening, do you think? Uh it's tricky. There's, you know, everyone is different. One of the, so, so I always look at musicians in three categories. You've got the ones who are just starting up and who will take anything for anything. They are completely wide eyed, very naive, really excited to get into the industry. And they're the ones who tend to make really bad deals mm. and the deals fall through. So a lot of the problem with up and coming acts is they just don't know what they're doing, but the more mistakes you make, the more you're going to learn what not to do. So I don't think there's actually anything wrong with being naive and doe-eyed and that sort mm. of thing. It's really good to make a lot of mistakes early on in your career. And then there's, uh, they, they tend to be quite easy to work with from a management point of view. Uh, and there's the next step up, which is people who are recently signed who think they are the Rolling Stones themselves and they are beyond cocky and beyond diva and really hard to work with. And I think those, they tend to be small acts as well. I think those are the two pitfalls people fall into. They don't know their own worth. I think that's the most important thing as an up-and-coming artist. Good point. I mean, oh, that's the worst. 
Yeah, so they, they've got to know they are worth something. They shouldn't take a bad deal. And also, they're not the biggest band in the world just yet. Don't be asking for the world. Don't be expecting to do more than you can. Don't overpromise to people. That, sure, we can fill out a 2,000 capacity venue if you've got 10 fans and six of them are your mum. is there ever a time that you do recommend bands you know do a gig for free like what when is it worth it oh all the time okay i I love putting on free gigs i love doing it i i I thought i I meant to touch on this earlier when it comes to setting up a tour i start with the highest paying gigs at the beginning and then the free gigs if i'm going to do one or a cheap gig at the end so you make a nice amount of money at the beginning of the tour to pay for emergencies, pay for emergencies throughout the rest of the week or the throughout the rest of the month. And then your last gig, make it a homecoming gig, make it free. It doesn't matter. But uh, mm. if it was possible for everyone to play free gigs all the time, I would say everyone play free gigs all the time. They're so much fun, but you do need, you need money to keep going, which is what the masterclass is all about. That's but, awesome. Uh, charity events, do those for free. If you've got a support slot with a larger larger actor, larger act that you've been waiting to work with, do that for free. It's going to open up your field so much more with what you can do. If you've got a slot at a festival, do that for free. If it's well, if it's if it's an opportunity that's going to make you a lot more money going forwards, do it for free. If it's an opportunity that is just going to keep you like this or maybe drop you down like this, don't do that. Don't do that if it's for free. Yeah, good point. I mean, there is there's capital in making connections with people too. Yeah, exactly. Out of time for questions, but um, all the info that you've given us today, Gabby, is so good, and I love your spunk too. I think that you know people are really going to enjoy the masterclass with you on Saturday. I hope everyone and then, comes and joins us. It's going to be yes, great. me too. And you know, I know that the accountability in the hundred days to me is like the foundation of this because you got information but then do you use it so many times I see people take my courses and they got great information but they don't actually do anything with it so that following that somebody following you around kind of like again stalking you to make sure that you're actually doing this stuff is so important So remember, you guys, for the $20 off, and remember, the price on this, check out the page. It is already so reasonable, but you get $20 more off because you hang out with me. Um, And as well, if the first 20 people that jump on this deal will also get a one-on-one with Tommy, who just popped up in our feed a little bit ago. Um, He's so knowledgeable, and he cares so much about your guys' success. That is what I think is the key about him. He's passionate about you guys succeeding. So um, you can grab that deal at uh, www.bit.ly slash Brie VIP, B-R-E-E VIP, bit.ly slash Brie VIP. And I'll put that into the uh, feed here and also into the post. So it's been great hanging out with you guys on Indie Interactive today. Now go out and make great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business. Female Entrepreneur Musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com. With editing by Jen Eads of 317 Sound Design and music by Stella Ronson.